We now start with questions, Prime Minister Ben Everett. One please, sir. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today is a big day as we implement the biggest tax cut. As we implement the biggest tax cut for a decade, increasing national insurance thresholds to make tax lower and the tax burden easier. These changes will benefit 30 million people across the UK. And I'm pleased to say that two of those people are seated here in the public gallery uh, today. Mandy Banfield and Alan Calzari, a typical worker, will now save £330 per year with 70% of employees better off as a result. That is real money uh, for real people. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm sure the House uh, will also join me in wishing the best of luck to England and Northern Ireland who are competing in the UEFA Women's Euro 2022 tournament uh, which starts today and I'm sure they will both make the nation proud. This morning, Mr Speaker, I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition, in addition to my duties in this House, I, sh- I expect I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, sir. Um, last week, we launched a new approach to combating knife crime in Milton Keynes, which means uh, increased use of stop and search, it means tougher charging and custody, um, tougher sentencing, faster youth diversion, and more work with parents and communities. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that if you carry a knife in Milton Keynes, you should expect to end up behind bars? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I thank my honourable friend for what he's doing to campaign for tougher sentences in, uh, in Milton in Milton in campaign against knife crime and as a result of, the, uh, of what the Conservatives have done adults who are convicted of certain offences involving a knife including threatening with a knife or a second offence of possession face a minimum sentence of six months imprisonment Mr Speaker and guess who voted against tougher sentences uh, for knife crime we know uh, uh, uh. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Today is the start of the Women's Euros, and I know the whole House will wish the Lionesses the very best of luck in bringing football home. Mr Speaker, it's also... Mr Speaker... It's also been 40 years since the death of Terence Higgins. Terence worked at Hansard by day and Heaven by night before he sadly died of AIDS. The Labour Party and the Terence Higgins Trust are committed to ending new cases of HIV by 2030. Together we can. Mr Speaker, last week a government minister was accused of sexually assaulting a young man. I want to quote the victim's account. He says, He grabbed my arse and then he slowly moved his hand down in front of my groin. I froze. I accept that's not easy listening, but it's a reminder to all those propping up this Prime Minister just how serious the situation is. He knew the accused minister had previously committed predatory behaviour, but he promoted him to a position of power anyway. Why? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, that individual, the uh, member for Tamworth, no longer has the Conservative whip. He no longer has a a job. He he is no longer, as soon as I was made aware of the the allegation that he has just read out, 
uh, Mr. Speaker, and the complaint that was made, uh, he lost uh, his um, he lost his status as a Conservative MP, and he is now the subject, uh, Mr. Speaker, of uh, an independent investigation to the uh, complaints and grievances. Uh, panel. And that is entirely right. And I want to say to him, uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to say to him that I abhor uh, bullying and abuse of power anywhere uh, in Parliament, uh, in this party or in any other party. None of that explains why he promoted him in the first place. And we've heard it all before. We know who he really is. Before he was found out, he's reported to have said he's handsy. That's the problem. Pincher by name, pincher by nature. Now, has the Prime Minister ever said words to that effect? And I'm not asking for bluster and half-truth. We've all had enough of that. Yes or no? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to trivialise uh, what happened. Uh, I, and I, I, and I, yes, Mr Speaker. Yes, Mr Speaker, th- th- I'm not, because there are very serious complaints have been raised against uh, the member for Tamworth and they're now being uh, investigated, Mr Speaker. It is true, it is true that the com- a complaint was uh, raised when he was in the Foreign Office and the matter was uh, resolved. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true, Mr Speaker, that it was ra- raised with me. I greatly regret that he continued uh, in office and, uh, and, I, and I've, I've said that. I have said that before, Mr Speaker. I have said that uh, before, Mr Speaker, but it is now it is now the subject of uh, an independent investigation. And, and that is the right thing, Mr Speaker. And, uh, frankly, I think the people of this country uh, would like also to hear they would like also to hear about uh, other jobs that are held by people in this country, not least the five hundred thousand people we got off welfare into work uh, in the last six months alone, Mr Speaker. Those are things that are making differences to the lives of people up and down the country and I'm proud of it. No denial. And he says the matter was resolved when he means it was upheld. And and they're all sitting there as if this is normal behaviour. When that young man reported his attack to a government whip, she asked him if he was gay. When he said that he was, she replied, that doesn't make it straightforward. That comment will sicken anyone who's experienced sexual assault and then be made to feel like they somehow asked for it, or who worry that prejudice means their complaint won't be taken seriously. Will he apologise for those disgraceful comments on behalf of his government? Speaker, I've, I've, I've already said uh, that I regret very much that uh, the uh, member for Tamworth continued to hold office after the complaint was made against him in the, in the Foreign Office. And uh, it, was, it was resolved in the Foreign Office. His apology was accepted. But clearly that was not enough. And in hindsight, Mr Speaker, I should have realised that he would not, he would, he would not change. However... When it came to the Friday of last week, and when I uh, was given the information that uh, he's read out about the complaint that was made against uh, the Honourable Member, I acted immediately, Mr Speaker, and I, I took the whip away from him. And we will not tolerate, we will not tolerate that kind of behaviour in this or any other party, Mr Speaker. And what we also want to do is to help people up and down the country with the things that also matter to them, like cutting their taxes, Mr Speaker, by £330 uh, this year, which is what we're doing. Doesn't that just sum him up? Awful behaviour, unacceptable in any walk of life, 
It's there for all to see, but he ignores it. It was the same when his ally was on the take from the lobbyists. It was the same when his Home Secretary was bullying staff. It was the same when taxpayers' money was being abused. And it was the same when he and his mates parted their way through lockdown. Anyone quitting now after defending all that hasn't got a shred of integrity. Mr Speaker, isn't this the first recorded case of the sinking ships fleeing the rat? He talks, he talks about... He, he should hear what he's not saying about him, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, he, he talks about, he talks about in, integrity. Uh, he, wanted, uh, he wanted to install uh, the member for Islington North into number 10, uh, Mr Speaker. That's what, that's what he wanted to do. Imagine, imagine what our country and what the world will be like now. Uh, he talks about integrity. He voted... He voted 48 times to overturn the will of the British people and take us back into the European Union. And by the way, listening to his muddled speech the other day, that is exactly uh, what he would do again. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, he talks about integrity, uh, but uh, Mr Speaker, he has voted time and time again against against sanctions on criminals that would put them behind bars. This is the government that is tough... I'm sorry, he's, he's, he talks about integrity. He's himself facing a criminal investigation, uh, Mr Speaker, which he asked me to resign. What a pathetic spectacle. Exactly. The, the, the dying act of his political career is to parrot that nonsense. And as for those who are left, only in office, because no-one else is prepared to debase themselves any longer, the charge of the lightweight brigade. <laughs> self-respect. Mr Speaker, for a week he's had them defending his decision to promote a sexual predator. Every day the lines he's forced them to take have been untrue. First, that he was unaware of any allegation. Untrue. Then he was unaware of any specific allegation. Untrue. Then he was unaware of any serious specific allegation. And now he wants them to go out and say that he simply forgot (laughs) that his whip was a sexual predator. Anyone with anything about them would be long gone from his front bench. In the middle of a crisis, doesn't the country deserve better than a Z-list cast of nodding dogs? Mr. Speaker, uh, it's when—it's exactly when, when times are tough and when the country faces pressures on uh, the economy uh, and pressures on their budgets, Mr. Speaker, and when we had the biggest war in Europe for 80 years, Mr. Speaker, uh, that is when—that is exactly the moment that you'd expect a government uh, to continue with its work, not to walk away, uh, Mr. Speaker, and to get on with our job and to focus on the things that matter to the people of this country. And that, so we're not only cutting taxes uh, today, Mr. Speaker, we're putting £1,200 into every uh, one of the 8 million most vulnerable households in the country, Mr. Speaker, thanks to the strength of our economy and thanks to the decisions that we took, Mr. Speaker, which he opposed at the time. The only thing he's delivering is chaos. I started this session with a quote from the young victim in all this, how he froze when he was attacked. 
When I was prosecuting rapists, I heard that from victims all the time. Mm. Victims said they froze because it's not about sex, it's about power. And the power the disgraced government minister had was handed to him by that prime minister. And he's only in power because he's been propped up for months by a corrupted party defending the indefensible. So it's no longer a case about swapping the person at the top. Isn't it clear? The only way the country can get the fresh start it deserves is by getting rid of the lot of them. Mr Speaker, the difference, the difference between this... We've got to get through Prime Minister's questions. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the, the difference between this government and that opposition is we have a plan and they do not. We're, and we're getting on with it. They want to focus on this type of issue, Mr Speaker. We're going to get on with our jobs. We're going to control prices, Mr Speaker, by not giving in to the union barons. They're paid by the union barons and they're, and they're proud of it. Uh, we were the first European country to arm the Ukrainians, Mr. Speaker. I'm proud of that. And those guys, Mr. Speaker, that the party opposite, the party opposite, not only do they want to put Corbyn, uh, Mr. Corbyn into number 10, uh, the member is into North, but eight of them, including the shadow foreign secretary, the shadow deputy leader, and, uh, uh, and six others, six others voted to get rid of our independent nuclear deterrent. Mr. Speaker. Today we are cutting taxes, we're helping half a million people into work, and thanks to the strength of our economy, we're helping people up and down the country, and we are going to continue to deliver on the mandate I was given. Jolly Bursa! Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. On Monday night, the Northern Ireland Legacy Bill reached its third reading. And so with it, the beginning of the end of the journey, a long journey to make sure the service and sacrifice of those who served in Iraq, Afghanistan, and now Northern Ireland is not rewritten by those who seek only to line their own pockets. But would the Prime Minister agree with me that never again can we allow such a gulf to open up between this place and those who serve? Never again must they be made to feel like we are not on their side and will he redouble his commitment to make sure this is the best country in the world to serve in the military and be a veteran or their family? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, my honourable friend, very much. I thank you for all the work that he's done uh, for, for veterans and continues to do. This bill will give veterans the certainty uh, they deserve, and uh, we're fulfilling the manifesto pledge to end the cycle of investigations, but also at the same time making sure that families can get the answers they need about what happened to their loved ones. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I give every best wish to the England and Northern Ireland uh, ladies football team as they approach the Euro Championships? There's nothing better than seeing your teams in these finals. Can we also commemorate the passing 40 years ago of Terence Higgins and all those that have died from AIDS and Senna? I'm sure, Mr Speaker, the whole House will want to join with me in passing condolences to the family of friends of the Scottish football goalkeeping legend Andy Gorham, who sadly passed far too early last weekend. He will long live in the memory of the best goalkeeper that many of us have seen. Mr Speaker, it's easy to forget that only ten days ago the Prime Minister was dreaming of a third term. (laughs) Mr Speaker, you know, it's often said that a week is a long time in politics, but it turns out that ten days is truly a lifetime. 
Because, let's face it, it's a minor miracle that the Prime Minister has even made it through to Prime Minister's questions, and he really ought to see the faces behind him, because, Prime Minister, it really is over. The Prime Minister is desperately clinging on to his own fantasy, but the public can't afford to put up with this farce of a government a minute longer. Today, we should be talking about the Tory cost of living crisis, soaring inflation and the growing cost of Brexit. But instead, it's always, it's always about him. How many more ministers need to quit before he finally picks up his pen and writes his own resignation letter? Perhaps that's what he's doing now. <laughs> actually, actually, Mr Speaker, I was just jotting down some notes on his, on his question, which I thought was uh, excellent when he was talking about the economy, uh, because uh, that is the issue that is the, the country uh, faces, and that, is the, and that is where this government is introducing, I think, the most important solution, helping, countries, uh, helping uh, families up and down the country uh, with £1,200 uh, going into their bank accounts uh, right now, cutting taxes for 30 million people, £330 tax cut, and helping half a million people into work uh, through the Way to Work scheme. That is a fantastic thing to be get, getting on and doing. That is the priority of this government, and uh, that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm glad he, I'm glad he likes it. Ian Blackford. My goodness. Nothing to see. We should all move on if we live in the world of the <laughs> Prime Minister. You know, a few weeks ago, I compared the Prime Minister to Monty Python's Black Knight. Actually, turns out I was wrong. He's actually the dead parrot. Whether, whether he knows it or not, he's now an ex-Prime Minister. But he will leave behind two deeply damaging legacies. I hope the dishonesty of his leadership follows him out of the Downing Street door. But the other legacy is that of Brexit. And that will stay. Because I'm sad to say that the Labour Party now fully supports Mr Speaker, Scotland wants a different future, not just a different Prime Minister. So if the Prime Minister won't resign, will he call a general election and allow Scotland the choice of an independent future, free from the control of Westminster? Mr Speaker, I, I noticed that his remark that the Labour Party had given up on uh, on returning to the European Union was not greeted with rapture by the benches opposite, and that's because it's not, it's not true. Uh, they want to go back in uh, just as he does. I think that's a, that, is a, that is a terrible uh, mistake. It would be anti-democratic, Mr Speaker. And as for the referendum uh, that he wants, well, we had one of them, uh, as I've told him before, uh, in 2014. Come on. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister think there are any circumstances in which he should resign? <laughs> I think, I, Mr. Speaker, I, clearly, if, uh, uh, if there were circumstances in which I felt it was uh, impossible for the government to go on and discharge uh, the mandate uh, that we've been given, uh, or if I felt, for instance, that we were being frustrated in our desire to support the Ukrainian people, uh, or, or over some major point, uh, then I would. But, but frankly, Mr. Speaker, the job of a Prime Minister in difficult circumstances when he's been handed a colossal mandate is to keep going, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, there you have, there you have it, Mr. Speaker. Once again, the Prime Minister he puts political survival before public duty. But people can see, even if he goes, it's not an if, it's a when, isn't it? The same Westminster arrogance will continue to dictate our futures in Wales. 
Does he want a medal for being the best recruiting sergeant for independence we could wish for? Actually, Mr Speaker, everywhere I look around the United Kingdom, uh, I had a great talk with Mark Drakeford uh, the other day, uh, as well as talking to Nicola Sturgeon. I see the bonds of our union uh, being strengthened the whole time. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, I'm confident that they will, uh, they will, get, they will continue to do so. Link Drabant! Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the, the government's town centre and levelling up funds have been very successful around the country, but there are a few town centres like Waterlooville in Mian Valley that are in desperate, desperate streets and haven't managed to get any funding, in, uh, get a scheme into the present round of funding. Can my right honourable friend assure me that future funds will be available to help declining high streets become fit for the 21st century and survive the post-pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thank my honourable friend and she's a great champion for, uh, for Mian Valley and uh, I will make sure that uh, she gets a meeting with the uh, Minister for Levelling Up at the uh, earliest opportunity. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The public clearly thinks that this government has lost the plot over the cost of living crisis. Uh, the Prime Minister may be aware that the average salary for a nurse is £36,000. For a primary teacher, it is £38,000. They, and indeed working people everywhere, are struggling to pay their rents and their mortgages. Given they can barely afford a £150,000 mortgage on a new home, can he tell this House how he could afford a £150,000 treehouse? Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I can tell him, Mr Speaker, uh, is that up and down the country, rather than talking about fantasy infrastructure, I can talk about real infrastructure, uh, we are helping to unite and level up the people of this country with £650 billion of investment, helping people, helping to lift the aspirations and opportunities of people up and down the country, and it, thanks to the strength of the, our economy, we're helping exactly the people he describes uh, with £1,200 going into their bank accounts uh, to help them with the cost of living pressures. Under the House of Peter Bottomley. The Prime Minister knows that while he's Prime Minister, I want him to do all the good he can. While he's Prime Minister of Green and Present Land, can I refer him to EDM 1082 about the Goring Gap, the Chatsmore Farm, or to the Department of uh, Levelling Up, the land above Goring Station, the farm in Worthing, which was fully protected and will be fully protected when another inspector says that the Worthing Council protecting it will happen. Can I ask him to tell the Government to withdraw their objection to Worthing Council's appeal against the absurd decision by a planning inspector to allow 482 homes to go on this green lung between Goring and Ferry? I, I, I thank uh, the Right Honourable John very much, and, uh, and he, he campaigns uh, on this issue for some time. I will make sure that he gets a meeting with the, uh, with the relevant uh, minister to discuss uh, the, uh, the development in Goring by sea. Ian Lagree. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 21st of January, the Government uh, committed £100 million from the Automotive Transformation Fund to British Vole, to a gigafactory in my constituency, Callis Wandsbeck. And as of today, Prime Minister, not a penny, not a single halfpenny is being received by uh, the, the, the company. And it jeopardises up to 8,000 much-needed jobs. The tensions between the Prime Minister 
and the former Chancellor have sadly now been much exposed. And I'm telling you, Prime Minister, the betrayal of my constituents cannot be another broken promise in this government. Prime Minister, Prime Minister, give him a nudge. Please instruct your new bestie to make sure that the cheque is in the post this afternoon, because who knows? Who knows who will be in that seat this time this afternoon? Never mind next week. Okay, can I congratulate the, the honourable gentleman on the, on the passion with which he advocates investment in, uh, in British folk? And I, look, I totally share, I share his, uh, his uh, enthusiasm. And actually, I want to thank uh, my honourable member for, uh, for Blythe Valley as well, uh, who, who is a heroic, uh, a heroic campaigner on this issue. I can tell him that the letter was sent last night. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, an in principle offer of support for this project uh, through. Uh, uh, how about that? Hang on in there, Mr. Speaker. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The world is facing a global food crisis in which the poorest nations face catastrophic consequences. Will the Prime Minister take all possible action to negotiate and facilitate access to the grain source stranded in Ukraine? We have a limited opportunity to avert famine in developing nations, and the UK must play its full part using all the resources at our disposal. Uh, my, my right honourable friend is completely right, and uh, there are 25 million tonnes of wheat that are basically being held hostage by, uh, by Putin. Uh, that's equivalent to the annual consumption of many uh, of the least developed countries, and uh, we're helping to uh, lift that blockade, uh, not just by negotiation, but also by su supplying uh, demining equipment, uh, insurance for the, uh, the, the commercial ships uh, that might be involved, and also uh, £10 million to help uh, improve the railway infrastructure uh, that would be necessary to get the grain out by rail. Mark Andrew. Mr Speaker, yesterday the Prime Minister said that he is fed up of people saying things on his behalf. It's not just him that's fed up, so are the British people and his ministers who are resigning. They're sick of time and time again being sent out by him to say things that aren't true. Is the real problem him or them for believing him in the first place? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I, I, I thank him very much. And look, I want to be clear. Uh, what, I, what I want to say is, uh, I, 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 I say it again, uh, I, I regret the way the uh, appointment uh, happened and I, I was clear with the House about uh, what I knew at the time, uh, but I want to stress that I, I take this matter extremely seriously. I, I, I'm, I'm very sorry for the, uh, the impact it's had on, uh, on the victims, uh, but uh, the individual in question, the member for Tamworth, is now subject to uh, an independent complaints and grievance uh, procedure. Uh, as, soon as, as, soon, as soon as that uh, as soon as that began, as soon as that complaint was made, I should say, Mr. Speaker, uh, the whip was taken away. Can I just say, we don't know that is the case. It is confidential, and I think we've got to stop referring to something that we don't know that. And I want to put the House on notice that we don't mention it. Theresa Villiers. Just over a fortnight ago, two horrific fatal stabbings took place in a quiet street in East Barnet. With the Metropolitan Police now in special measures for the first time in its history, Will the Prime Minister urge the Mayor of London to start living up to his responsibilities yeah. as Commissioner? Yeah. 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 The Mayor needs to get a grip on crime, yeah. he needs yeah. to give Barnet yeah. its fair share of new his officers, and he needs to abandon his plans to sell Barnet police. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, well, I do notice, Mr Speaker, that crime has spiked since the previous uh, Mayor of London, uh, and, and uh, it is the Labour Party uh, that voted against uh, stop and search, uh, Mr Speaker, that voted against increased funding for the police. And I think, as for the Labour Mayor, he'd, be do, he'd do better to get out of California and take control of crime uh, in his city. And this will alter... Thank you, Mr Speaker. According to the NHS Confederation, not a single one of the so-called 40 new hospitals the Prime Minister promised at the last election will be built by 2024. Two of those new hospitals are in my constituency. Hammersmith opened in 1902 and Charing Cross (laughs) opened in 1818. (laughs) They're not new hospitals and there's no building going on. Like all his promises, they exist only in his warped imagination, as this is likely to be his last Prime Minister's questions. Will he finally tell us the truth? Well, actually, Mr Speaker, if he looks at what we promised and what we delivered, uh, we said we'd get 20,000 police out on the streets. We've actually got 13,500 more already. Already, uh, We said we'd do 50,000 more nurses. We're already on track. And he's quite wrong about the pledge on hospitals. Uh, we're going to deliver them by 2030, Mr Speaker. That was always clear. And, and the only reason we can do that is because we're putting the funding into our NHS, which he and his party opposed. Very Sambrook. Mr Speaker. Um, yesterday, in an attempt to boost morale in the tea room, the Prime Minister said uh, at a table, but there were seven people, MPs in the Carlton Club last week, and um, one of them should have tried to intervene to stop Chris from drinking so much, as if that wasn't insulting enough to the people who did try and intervene that night, and then also to the victims that drink was the problem. Isn't it the example, Mr Speaker, but it's the Prime Minister constantly tries to deflect from the issue always tries to blame other people for mistakes and that at least nothing um, left for him to do other than to take responsibility and resign. Order. Order. Can, can I just say you ought to be embarrassed by clapping. This is not a debate. Mr Esterson, it's not debating society. This is... This is Prime Minister's questions. I want to get through the questions as other people want to catch my eye. And the way to do it is not by clapping. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, there's a very simple reason why they want me out. And that is is because... And that is because they know, Mr Speaker, uh, that that otherwise uh, we are going to get on and deliver our mandate and win another general election. And that is the reality, Mr Speaker. Nero Wilson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister once wrote, It is a wonderful and necessary fact of political biology that we never know when our time is up. (laughs) Long after it is obvious to everyone that we are goners, we continue to believe our duty is to hang on to the perks and privileges of our posts. In reality, we are just terrified of the come down. So for the sake of this great country, will the Prime Minister heed the advice of his former self, get over his terror and do the decent thing? Mr Speaker, I I refer the Honourable Lady to the answer I have just given. When when things are tough, of course people uh, turn their fire on uh, the leader of the the country, but uh, it is my job to get on and deliver uh, our manifesto, which we are, and to deliver on the mandate uh, on which I was elected, and to to get this country uh, through tough times just as we got it through Covid. And that is what I'm going to do. Fiona Bruce. Around a thousand, <clears throat> I apologise, 
Around 1,000 delegates from 100 countries are at the Freedom of Religion or Belief International Ministerial Conference over at the QE2 yeah, Centre yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> there is still time for honourable members to visit. <laughs> but will the Prime Minister agree with me that this significant conference will count for nothing unless it results in concerted global action to promote and protect freedom of religion or belief around the world? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thank her very much. And freedom of uh, religion and belief is integral to people's uh, identity and uh, uh, their sense of themselves and their, and their own personal uh, freedom and security. And I, I thank her for the work she's uh, doing as uh, my own envoy on that subject and also for the wonderful conference uh, that, she has, uh, that she has organised. It was great to talk to her about it yesterday. Mohammed Jal. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in expressing my deepest condolences to those injured and affected by the explosion at a block of flats yeah. at Redwood Grove yeah, yeah. in Bedford on Monday, yeah, 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 which has yeah, yeah. sadly led to the death of one resident with others yet to be accounted for. This is a timely reminder of the dangerous work undertaken by the fire service. So will the Prime Minister join me in praising the emergency services who were at the scene and also reconsider his 2% pay offer when firefighters have endured a real terms pay cuts of 12% over the last decade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I thank him very much, and, as he, uh, and I share very much his support for the firefighters of our country. They do an incredible job, and overall, it's a testament to their work that uh, deaths from fire uh, over a long period have, on average, been uh, decreasing thanks to the work that they, uh, they put in. We will do our best to we'll look at the uh, public sector pay review uh, body offer and do our best to fund uh, as, as much as we can, but everybody knows the inflationary pressures that this country is now under. We don't want to have pay increases that are simply swallowed by price increases. David Johnson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The North Morton in my constituency was dubbed Britain's kindest village because this 160... Oh, wait for it. <laughs> because this 160 home village committed to take 50 Ukrainian refugees. Yeah. It has them all with them now. Um, in the gallery today, there is a group of those hosts and some of the Ukrainians that they are hosting, including two young people who hope to go into Ukrainian politics in the future. Yeah. Well, my right honourable friend join me in welcoming them to this place and in thanking North Moulton for their efforts. Yeah. I thank him very much for what he's doing to, uh, to host uh, young uh, Ukrainians. Thank everybody actually in this house who's uh, looking after Ukrainians. I think a lot of people are, are doing that. And can I say I believe it's the wish of this entire house uh, that those young people uh, should grow up to live in a free, independent, democratic and sovereign Ukraine. Richard Dowd. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given that the Prime Minister doesn't like walkouts and strikes, uh, what legislation will he be introducing to stop further walkouts and strikes amongst his Cabinet colleagues and junior ministers? Mr Speaker, I think that uh, the whole House will have observed the brilliant performance on the radio this morning by the, the new Chancellor of the, uh, of the Exchequer. Uh, 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 and, uh, and that's in no disrespect to the old, to the former Chancellor of, of the Exchequer. Uh, but what I, and I, what I think it shows, Mr. Speaker, is that in common with uh, many sectors of the of the UK economy, 
there is a ready supply of skilled labour uh, in, the upper reaches, uh, in the upper reaches of the Conservative Party. David Davis. David Davis. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to draw the Prime Minister's attention to the words he used in response to my right honourable friend, the member for Worthing, uh, when he asked the question earlier. Six months ago, I called on the Prime Minister to resign because even then it was clear that his approach to leadership and integrity was already creating a pipeline of problems that would paralyse proper government. Today, I ask him to do the honourable thing, to put the interests of the nation before his own interests and before, in, in, in his own words, it does become impossible for government to do its job. Prime Minister. I, I thank him very much for the, for the point that he's, uh, he's, made, he's made again. Uh, I've just got to, I've respect, I, just, I just couldn't uh, disagree with him more. Uh, look, at, look at what the government is doing today. Uh, cutting taxes uh, for 30 million people. Uh, we've, just, we've just completed a programme to get half a million people off welfare into work, Mr Speaker, thanks to the strength of our economy, thanks to the position uh, that we're now in, which was, which was because of decisions that we took that they opposed and which we never forget... Never forget, we, have the, we, we are able to give £1,200 uh, to 8 million of the poorest uh, and most vulnerable families in this, in this country. That is the right thing uh, to do. We're getting on with it, and, and we will continue with our active and energetic programme for the benefit of this country, uniting and levelling up and unleashing the prosperity of the entire nation. Final question, five bets. The local government association has told us that over 400 families who have come to this country from Ukraine under the family scheme have subsequently presented themselves as homeless to local authorities. Because the local authorities haven't got enough accommodation, those people are going to end up in temporary accommodation. There's a simple answer. Local authorities could be allowed to contact the many thousands of people who volunteered to provide homes under the Homes for Ukraine scheme. The problem is the government doesn't allow families to transfer from the family scheme to the home scheme. When will the Prime Minister act to ensure people who have come thousands of miles to this country aren't placed in temporary accommodation, but we take on the generosity of those families who are willing to offer them a home? Uh, I thank you very much for the very valuable point that he's raised, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that uh, uh, families are able to cross over from one uh, scheme to, to another uh, and to simplify and speed up the, the process. But I don't think that should take away, Mr Speaker, from the generosity uh, of this country in, in welcoming Ukrainian, Ukrainians. 135,000 visas have so far been issued uh, through our uncapped scheme, uh, both the family scheme and the Homes uh, for Ukraine scheme. Uh, it's changing the lives of those Ukrainians, and I think we should all be proud of what we are doing.